He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I am joined by the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Uh, we're running a little light this week. We do not have James or Rigby, so we're down two Munson's. Um, with the holiday season and all the chaos going on, you know, it was, it was tough to coordinate schedules, but you've got some good people here and we're going to carry the load. So, Case, tell us what's going on in your world, man. Like you guys in the throes of the holiday season and being that this episode is coming out on New Year's Eve, I thought it appropriate that I give everybody a preview of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> and um, it's really just not to get COVID. That's, that's it. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'm working on. This is the unofficial version, but Rigby's update is that he's learned how to play chess and he can now double dutch jump rope. <laughs> Straight from the source, huh? Yes. <laughs> I, I, somehow I don't think that's believable. Lots of things to do in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Warren. It's uh, bowl season, um, off two weeks for Christmas vacation because school's awesome. Uh, we've got fantasy football playoffs. we got movies. we got all this fun stuff coming out. Christmas, all that yippee motherfucker, let's roll. Warren, you want to take a stand of what James is up to? Yeah. James is currently quaffing his uh, <laughs> just perfectly parted hair as he <laughs> listens to his mother and father-in-law. Talk about how he needs to start a podcast. <laughs> That's good. Just so you know, Chip, the last time James's parents apparently told him he should start a podcast, even though he'd been doing it for nine months. So that's that's uh, a, that's a good way. That's a good way to get yeah you know, to to get your career going. You know, people exactly. people will listen to you. If we're you lucky, know. we'll get we'll get two more subscribers after this weekend. <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> One set of in-laws at a time. We've got uh, Chip Hessenflow back with us on the podcast. If you didn't catch our James Marsden episode, which he uh, joined us for, he's the co-host of Sandwiches at Irregular Hours, which is a little bit different than the last time we had him here. Um, it's the book club you always wish to be part of. You want to read more books in 2021? Read chapters 1 through 11 of Robert J. Sawyer's classic, Flash Forward, and find out what happens when the world's population blacks out for a little over two minutes. Fascinating. He owns a financial planning practice in the Chicago and Raleigh areas. He works with all sorts of people who are much more interesting than he is. He enjoys his career, which lends him to think and sometimes be creative. Chip was born bald. You can find sandwiches at irregular hours on your favorite podcatcher or smart speaker by searching sandwiches at irregular hours. Welcome back, Chip. Yeah, Chip. Oh, thank you. Yay! <laughs> when you were here last time, you had a theme on your book last time. I can't remember. Uh, you guys were doing Sherlock Holmes, weren't you? Yeah. Correct. Yep. We were joking during when COVID started. We, we wanted to find something that was public domain 
that there was a lot of that most people know a lot about, but probably had never read all the stories. So we read all the Sherlock Holmes stories and we joked, oh, we'll never be able to get through them all. (laughs) Uh, We got through all of Doyle's uh, short stories and then all of his novels. So the four novels, a chapter at a time. Based on the experience of doing a daily podcast of reading a a short story or a chapter um, every day, we decided to continue it. So we stopped uh, too much scrolling, which we did a book of the week and a movie of the week and some review and comment on the news mm-hmm. to focus on a book of the week. And we, so far we have, we've interviewed a number of authors. Uh, we've interviewed, you know, we've, we have the ability to read four or five books. We're currently reading the Charles Dickens uh, Christmas novellas. A Christmas uh, Carol is a very good story. The other ones, let's just say not so much. So um, <laughs> I didn't even know there were others. <laughs> oh, there's there's five of them. <laughs> and uh, let's just say that um, one of them is worthy of our time. <laughs> 200, baby. One for five. Chip, you had a really long pause after you said we have the ability to read. Yes. And I thought you were about to insinuate we didn't. <laughs> well, that's why we have books on tape. We, we don't even have to read anymore. We're cultured at our podcast, unlike these nonsense over here. <laughs> You mentioned that uh, too much scrolling, uh, you guys moved to sandwiches at regular hours. And so I think you've been missing out on your movie a week fix. So I think we're, uh, you know, we're going to ke- cultivate that a little bit here on the, on the podcast, get you talking a little bit about the movies they used to discuss on the old podcast back in the day. Absolutely. Well, let's go. Birthdays, New Year's Eve. Warren, what do we got? Pretty good day, New Year's Eve. First off, we got Val Kilmer. Uh, MacGruber, Kiss Kiss, Bang Bang, Heat, Tombstone, and The Island of Dr. Moreau. I left out Top Gun intentionally because I just don't really care for it. Dieter von Kuntz. Yes. Kilmer, I th- he, I will say this, he looks really old now. Like, I think at some point, his aging just seemed to accelerate. So I'm going to go like 65. Is that how many uh, gallons of ice cream he eats a, a year? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully. He lives his best life. <laughs> what do you got, Chip? I'm going to go. I'll go 64. Give me 60 flat. He's 61. So Ooh. Craig Craig sneaks in there with that 60 on Prices Right rules. Yeah. Next up, we got Anthony Hopkins. Wow. Silence of the Lambs. Howard's End, which is going to be discussed tonight. And he was the winner of the Allegiance of Women in Film Journalist Award for the most egregious age difference between a leading man and a love interest with Robin Wright in, in Beowulf. Oh, wow. How old is Anthony Hopkins? Oh, man. Oh, my God. Uh, he's 77. I'm going 75. Give me 79. 83. Craig, too. Hey, 83, yeah. And Craig, Craig is- getting in there. Get James out of here, and I got a shot at winning. <laughs> yeah, no joke. My man's still at it, though. He's He might get an Oscar nom for his role in The Father this year, too. So he's still doing great work. Wow. We'll see. All right. Last up, Ben Kingsley, Gandhi, Schindler's List, Shutter Island, and The Love Guru. Iron Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kingsley. Man, he's a, this is a really good group of actors. Give me 61 for Kingsley. 70. 65. 77. What? 77. Wow, he looks he looks yeah. great without that hair. You can't see any gray, and I think he does a little touch of touch of gray on his uh, you know, his mustache and flavor saver. Yeah, so he's he's seventy seven. Mm-hmm. He's looking good. Wow, those are the birthdays for today. 
So we had five actors we threw onto the wheel. Those five were Derek Luke, Joey Pants, Naomi Harris, Jason Siegel. I was I'm tempted to say Jason Seagal, just because <laughs> Steven Seagal. Um, but all of those people don't really matter for this week because the the wheel landed on Dame Emma Thompson. We're gonna dig into her career before we start talking about trivia and all those pieces. Just so everyone knows, she's got about 93 acting credits on her resume. Uh, maybe not as much as people would have thought initially, but she also has 14 writing credits and seven producer credits. So multi-talented, multi-faceted human being. Is this our first uh, performer that's been anointed by the uh, British crown? I believe so. Our second yeah. straight British performer, too. I know whenever I hear Emma Thompson, I never hear like Dame Emma Thompson, like Dame du- Judy Dench. Are they different levels of dameness? I don't think so. I think hers is just more recent. She got hers in 2018. So it's just, yeah, I think it's more recent and people just haven't referred to to her as long as that, is my guess. Yeah. I know that she got, she was anointed it for like services to drama. Right. That was why she received it. But as American assholes to the crown, we don't have to <laughs> refer to her as it, though, right? And I don't think so. We don't have to acknowledge this. No. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, no. Emma Thompson, Judy Dench, Elton John, Paul McCartney. Exactly. <laughs> no dames and sirs here. Mr. and Mrs. or Miss. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this from overseas and the United Kingdom, uh, you have to refer to it as the Dame Emma Thompson episode. It won't be in our description. Yeah. You chose <laughs> to go. live there. That's your fault. James isn't here with us. So we're going to, without James and Rigby, we're each of us going to kind of take on their normal segment. So I'm going to do my best to take us through the trivia portion. I guarantee it will be nowhere near as good as what, uh, as what James does. So if you're a first time listener and you don't know how this works, we give three facts potentially, about our actor. One of them is a lie, 2 two percent a lie, and that lie is always about a character from the Fast and the Furious movies. So with that in mind, good luck to you all. All right, so fact number one. Before becoming an actress, she was actually studying to be a lawyer and once said, if things had gone according to my plans, I'd be a lawyer, and I never dreamt of being an actress. Fact number two. She's never read her Wikipedia page and never had a social media profile before and once said that she'd rather have a root canal treatment than join social media. Fact three. She's been sworn in as an honorary citizen of Italy and is a legal resident of the country. Which of those three is a lie? And those are all straight from Rigby. I didn't come up with those. Those are Rigby's. Wow. So judge accordingly. If you don't like it, don't blame me. I'm going to say number two with the, uh, the social media. Um, I, I imagine she's probably got one somewhere. That's uh, Michael Rooker, who is uh, he plays a character buddy in uh, the new Fast 9 coming out. <laughs> I'm going number one. Well, that works out well, because I'm actually going to go number three, because I think that's Gal Gadot. Ooh. Mm. All right. So this is perfect. Everybody picks something different. All right. So fact number two is true. Damn. She's, she's never read her Wikipedia page, never had social media. She's not on social media. And apparently she likes root canals. Um, I hate root canals, so that part just baffles me. But hey, uh, you know, to each their own, right? Kyle, when you read that, I could, I could immediately picture her saying... I'd yeah. rather have a bloody root canal. Yeah, that's after seeing enough of her uh, interviews, I was like, yeah, that sounds right up her alley. Yeah. Something with uh, British and teeth and the same. <laughs> <laughs> that's right on brand for British. Fact number three is also true. Damn She's it. been sworn in as an honorary citizen of Italy and is a legal resident of the country. Here's the fun part, though, Craig. Fact one is the lie. Before becoming an actress, she was actually studying to be a lawyer, and that was actually Gal Gadot. So you were right. Wow. Just not right. Half right. All right. 
uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, her snapshot in box office history case. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to there's going to be some trends here throughout the podcast tonight. But, you know, punching her numbers in, she ranks number one on the aggregate score of my spreadsheets by a long ways. Hmm. Of the 26 uh, performers we have, she is number seven in IMD popularity, number one in average critic reviews, number three in average fan reviews and number seven in average box office performance. Damn. And she just, she blows everybody away. It's pretty good. It's out of control. The fact that she's had so many large budget films actually hurts her on our list. Of the 32 films I have on my spreadsheet, eight of them are over $100 million budgeted films, what? including wow, $225 million budget for Men in Black International, which is crazy to me because... Um, I didn't know there was a Men in Black 2, 3, or International. So <laughs> that, that, that blew my mind. Uh, of, of the largest budgeted movies, she's number three. And number one was John Carter from the Brian Cranston episode. And number two is Superman Returns, starring the James, James Marsden. That's right. Yeah. She's as reliable as it comes. Only five of the 32 movies that I have on my list lost money. Mm. The biggest box office bomberoo she had was Treasure Planet losing $30 million. Mm. Think about it. 85% of the films that she's been in out of 32 end up on the positive side of the ledger. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Yeah. That Bomberoo is a, was an animated feature that also was nominated for an Oscar. So I guess it wasn't that much of a Bomberoo. Combination of good projects, strong performances on her part, uh, and being a good international box office draw is really what puts her at number one. She ranks number, f in, in terms of international box office draw, she ranks number four on ours. And the top five are number one, Ken Watanabe. Number two, Alicia Vikander. Mm -hmm. Number three, Rami Malek. Number four, Emma Thompson, who we're talking about tonight. And number five, Jessica Chastain. Interesting. And that's all I got for box art. Yeah. Oh, that's an awesome recap, man. I couldn't have asked for anything better. I remember looking at her Rotten Tomatoes when we first chose her by how many movies were both critically and audience like fresh. Like It's insane. 70 and up. Almost every movie she's been in, except for a couple of years we'll talk about in the mid like 2010s. Everything else is stellar. Digging into her career a little bit, we had to get a little creative with it. Her first feature film that we're going to cover is 1991. So everything pre-91 will hit first. So a few more background notes about her life and early life and early acting. Both her parents are actors and performers. So she comes from a family of performers. Um, so she didn't just, she wasn't like Chris Pratt and just, you know, was serving burgers in Hawaii and somehow got, you know, found by an agent. You know, she comes from that background, similar to like Rebecca Hall and coming from a theater yeah. background. Isn't her sister an actress as well? I believe so. And she is actually the first female member of the famous Footlights troupe that she was a part of, which included Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry, who she does a lot of work with earlier in her career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Her roots are in British sketch comedy. You can have opinions on whether or not you think that's good comedy or not, but in terms of like tops of sketch comedy at the time, she was right there at a really young age. Yeah. Her first role really was her role in Not the Nine O'Clock News in 1982 stage production. But when you look between 82 and let's say 89, when she does her first feature film um, that we'll mention briefly, she's in everything from There's Nothing to Worry About with with Hugh Laurie. Uh, she's in The Crystal Cube, which is available on YouTube. I mean, it's hard to like watch it because it's not great quality, but Hugh Laurie's in that, Stephen Fry's in that. She's in Alfresco. 
She plays a gothic mother in the comic strip Presents. And it's fascinating, if you're interested in Emma Thompson's career, to watch that clip. Because she's only in it for a little bit. She plays this gothic mother character where she's supposed to be concerned, but she keeps smiling and laughing the whole time. And her facial expressions don't match the the tone of the scene at all. And so she's definitely grown quite a bit as an actress over time since then. It's wild watching a lot of those early skits and seeing Hugh Laurie in there. It's Oh, yeah. Yep. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. She was doing an interview with Seth Meyers, and he mentioned to her she was in one of his favorite sketches on The Young Ones, which I'd never heard of until we did this podcast like review research. And that was a British sketch comedy show in 84 that she's in. She plays a brat beauty in one of the episodes. She's in another stage production, 85, Me and My Girl. She wins her first, I guess, semi-major award in 87. She's in Tutti Fruity, plays a character named Susie, and she won a BAFTA TV award for Best Actress. So early on in her career, first dramatic work, gets a BAFTA, British Award. That same year, she's in Fortunes of War, another television show. She played a character named Harriet, and she won got another BAFTA TV Award for Best Actress. And that's also where she met her future husband, Kenneth Branagh, which, as we'll talk about here, she ends up working with him quite a bit over the next seven years. That's crazy and incredibly impressive that she's picked up two BAFTAs within the first, what, five Six years of her career? Yeah, it was the first non-sketch comedy roles she took on. Wow. If you would ask someone today to to say, all right, do you think Emma Thompson was in sketch comedy? Most of us would have said no. Mm -hmm. No. I would have said no until I watched Late Night. That's true. From watching Late Night, I don't know if they actually pulled, like, stand-up stuff from her when she was younger. Uh, I I could believe it if they ended up doing that. I, I don't know if they actually ended up doing that for it, but... yeah. Without that movie, I'd definitely say no. Yep. And, and for the record, I, I used to watch The Young Ones. See? There you go. That's good. That's why we bring you on, Chip, so you can uh, you can give us the scoop on um, 1980s uh, British sketch comedy. So that's good. Um, <laughs> what was your favorite sketch? Oh, yes. There you go. Try to get me. We used to go to my neighbor's house late at night, and we would watch The Young Ones because he liked it, and uh, we would just hang out. I, I just remember it was very British. There was one guy that had some appliques of, st- uh, of stars on his forehead that he ran through with the whole thing. And it was very British. What, what can I say? If you, you get British humor or you don't. At the time, I was kind of in between. I think her early, that early sketch work is interesting in contrast to what we most know her of, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's, that's why I found it pretty interesting. So 98 or 88, she has her own sketch show. Thompson. She plays a variety of characters in that. So she's big enough at that point. They gave her own show. He said, you're damn good. Even Laurie and Fry, when she was uh, in college, were like, she's going to be huge. And by 88, she had her own show. So at 89, she's in another stage production, Look Back in Anger. Plays a character named Allison alongside, alongside her uh, Kenneth. And uh, then 89 is when she does her first feature film. Now, Warren uh, did everything possible to try to find this damn thing. What was it going to cost us to buy it? Online? Uh, $131? $131 for a used <laughs> DVD from Amazon. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Apparently, this Jeff Goldblum classic, The Tall Guy, is, uh, is an expensive item to apprehend these days. So we're sorry. We couldn't review it. We wanted to but could not find it. I did hear her in an, in an interview mention that that is like one of the hidden gems of her career. And she wished more people would have seen it 
Well, make it available then. <laughs> yeah, someone. Put it on Tubi or Voodoo or something, man. So 89 as well, she's in a movie that's available on YouTube. It's called Henry V. I guess technically her highest critic score. It's at 100% of Rotten Tomatoes. She plays Princess Catherine de Valois. She's only in a couple scenes in it, very brief. She speaks fluent French in the role. I've watched most of it. And it's another one with Kenneth Branagh and Judy Dench is in it. And a 14-year-old Christian Bale is in that movie. It is his fifth role ever. And wow. it is in, you could tell immediately, you're like, oh, shit, that's Christian Bale. So that was kind of cool. So did he gain weight or, or lose weight for this one? <laughs> <laughs> he was he was starting to lose weight uh, he, so he could do newsies. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he dies in the movie at the end in the battle. So if you like these period pieces where they i mean for in terms of like good script and doing drama well it's i can see why it's rated so high it's just not really my cup of tea but good for her early in her career and and an important checkpoint but that takes us to 91 to her first feature film that we're going to cover and it is called dead again and warren has it dead again uh 83 critic 77 audience uh it's a 1991 movie directed by kenneth branagh it's classified as a neo-noir romantic thriller. I don't know what that is. A good supporting cast, uh, Wayne Knight, Andy Garcia, and Robin Williams, who's awesome in it. I really enjoyed him in this movie. The movie starts with a very like Citizen Kane feel, black and white documents laying out exposition with a bunch of dramatic music. Uh, I don't miss the five-minute opening credit scenes these days, but you have to pay attention to these, otherwise you miss what's going on. Brenna plays a guy named Roman Klaus, who's sentenced to death for killing his wife, Margaret, in 1949. Uh, Margaret is played by Emma Thompson. The story runs in concert with Brenna playing a modern-day private detective named Mike Church, who picks up a case helping an amnesiac played by Emma Thompson. Uh, Long story short, the two play characters in the past whose trauma now lives in these current-day characters. Possession, reincarnation, hypnotism, blah, blah, blah. Not really for me. (laughs) Um, It's a lot. Branna is annoying in this. And that, that sucks being a director and you make... Maybe this is just like who he is. I know he's in some good stuff and he's got uh, five Academy uh, Award nominations. So some people really like him. I don't really care for him, but um, he's just over the he's an over the top emotional roller coaster who makes any scene with him just really unsettling. Uh, And it's not like an artistic choice kind of way. He's just. Like he, he seems overwhelmed always. Emma doesn't offer much except for screaming in the middle of the night and acting clueless. <laughs> Not sure why she's attracted to him in real life. He's a bit of a chode. But there's just too much stuff going on with this movie. It's convoluted, sloppy. You just lose interest until the bad guy impales himself comically on a large set of scissors, which is like recurring symbolism. The accents are terrible. Branna. Uh, a guy, for, he's what, Scottish? He does an American and a German accent. Why? I have no clue. It, just un- unnecessary accents absolutely kill me in movies. Uh, this movie could have been written with no no accents. Uh, he could have just done it as a, a character in, in England. It would have been great. Bottom line, this movie is too much and not enough. In terms of her roles and performances, it's one of my least favorite from her. Yeah, it, it, at least it's at least it's early on. Um, yeah. It made some decent money. Yeah, but it, it just overall, she looks great in it. She she, she is does. 
She's she can pull the attractive leading lady, and for a, a thriller like this, being a new person, especially on like the American uh, the screen, she's going to attract a lot of eyes towards her. And and Branna, who is kind of becoming an up and comer, springboarded her into like kind of the stardom. And unfortunately, that kind of karma kind of comes back on her. Unfortunately, the most interesting part of this movie for me was reading the trivia and finding out that Robin Williams intentionally didn't want them to include his name in the opening credits because he didn't want people to think that it was a comedy. Because as soon as they tie his name to it, then they automatically think it's a comedy. Really? If you told me that this was like a prequel for Robin Williams' character in Goodwill Hunting Interesting. as Dr. McGuire, I'd totally believe you. That yeah, considering Ooh. his character, yeah, that would make sense. He was he was a therapist, and he got fu- he got fired uh, in <laughs> the movie for like sleeping with some of his patients after becoming ro- yeah romantically involved. He didn't he didn't charge his customers, and some bitch came in and screwed it all up for him. Uh, I think it was Ebert gave it like a glowing review, and he was like. I think he did compare it to citizen, like to Orson Welles, and I was like, oh, there's another reason I hate critics." <laughs> Just add it to the list, baby. That's also saying that Citizen Kane was re- a good movie, and if you as, watch it, I'm as sure we sit here Kane. reviewing movies, he hates critics. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. <laughs> Just the self bloviating variety. I'm, I'm, s- I'm so meta. You don't even know. <laughs> so <freaking> meta. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dead again is dead to us, and uh, we'll we'll cool. we'll just say we wish we had a chance to review the tall guy, but you know it is what it is. We'll. We did our best with what we had at our disposal. All right, so we've got a four-year gap before we run into High's Critic Score. And so her biz- her career just launches during this time, right? She's an impromptu in 91. She got a nomination for Best Supporting uh, Actress at the Independent Spirit Awards for that role. And then 92, she gets uh, her her first and first of two Oscars for her role as Margaret in Howard's End, which I had been meaning to watch for a long time. And I finally got a chance to getting around to it. Anthony Hopkins is phenomenal in it. This is the weird part that I'll note about her career. The movie was nominated for a bunch of awards, too. But when I look at her role in this and some of the other period pieces she's in, I don't think it's her best work. And those are the ones she's gotten the most praise for. We'll talk about some of her other roles that I think she's even more phenomenal in and get Oscar noms for. So it's just kind of a weird situation. But if you watch her... You can go back and look at the acceptance speech that she gave after she won this because she was going up against some heavy hitters. She dedicated her award to women's advancement, right, and, and women doing more in the workplace, in the industry. And I thought at the time for her, that's a pretty forward move on her part, kind of a ballsy move on her part. Yeah. So good for her getting that Oscar early on, only 10 years into her career. Hard to do. James Ivory, the director of Howard's End, gave her one of the most valuable pieces of directing that she ever had in her career. And today, she still thinks about it. He said to her, do not ever sigh Hmm. when you're acting, Hmm. because that's a lazy way out of trying to show emotion. person interviewing her said, you know what? Now that you mention it, I've never heard anybody win an award for best sigh in a motion picture. Oh, okay. Okay. Also, 92, she's in an episode of Cheers. And then uh, 93, she's in Much Ado About Nothing. Plays Beatrice, another uh, role alongside Kenneth Branagh. But this is a 90, it's like a, it's a Shakespearean story 
and she's pretty good in it. I'll give her credit there. The uh, Again, it's interesting when you look at the cast. There was a, a young Dunzel, Keanu Reeves, Michael Keaton, Imelda Staunton, Kate Beckinsale. Just a star-studded cast in 93 for this movie. Um, and she got a nomination for Best Female Lead from the Independent Spirit Awards for that role. Wow. If you love Shakespeare stuff, it's done well. It's done very well. Again, not my bag normally. Uh, but it was interesting to watch nonetheless. Yeah, not mine either. 93, she got another Oscar nom for her role in The Remains of the Day as Miss Kenton. She calls it a masterpiece of withheld emotion. Haven't seen it, but um, Anthony Hopkins is in that one as well. I know that. Withheld emotion, that's a a sigh of a movie, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think think what she's going for is a lot of nuance in that one is probably Mm. uh, limited dialogue from that Mm. standpoint. So you can interpret that however you like, listening audience. Kyle, when I read that that line, it it makes me think of you know all the interviews that I watched her in. She is incredibly thoughtful and very articulate. Mm-hmm. I would have to imagine that that's also the same detail that she approaches these roles in. If any other actor or actress we had ever, if I ever read the quote from them that it was a masterpiece of withheld emotion. I would I would ask Warren to please trash it for me because it, just, it would be so out of character. But for her, at everything that I watched, it fits right in with what she's with what her interviews look and sound like. You will not trash the dame. Do not even consider it. But ninety three is a really cool year for her because she gets nominated for Remains of the Day, but she also gets an Oscar nomination for her role in In the Name of the Father as Gareth Pierce. She plays a counsel in that one. Um, she became the eighth actor ever to be nominated twice in the same year. So huge deal. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And she's great. She's great in that movie, man. She's mm-hmm. awesome in that role. A Daniel Day-Lewis favorite, if you're, a, if you're a fan of his. And then 94, she's in Junior as Dr. Redden. I was sad Junior actually wasn't streaming. Have you guys seen Junior, and can, is she any good in it? You know, I remember it, and, and she was, you know, I don't necessarily remember her, but I do know that, you know, Ivan Reitman, the director of it, specifically wanted her for the role because he wanted to have an Austrian lead, an English lead, and a New York City lead. And he thought that that, that, that collection of, of characters and background would be hilarious. And then the other thing with her is is there's a couple of interviews where she's really taking the piss out of Arnold and, and making fun of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And there's a famous Graham Norton video where they're interviewing her and he asks her if Arnold can act. And she goes, oh, heavens no. <laughs> Everybody loses it. And she also called him orange. She's kind of saying, he looked really orange. <laughs> it was a good role. I mean, a great movie? Eh, probably not, but fun. And like you said, a, a good change of pace. I'm surprised he didn't have, or she ended up not having more roles with Reitman because he's very big on recurring casts. Like all of his stuff with Aykroyd yeah. and Bill Murray mm-hmm. and like Sigourney Weaver and stuff like that. And so the fact that she only had one. Did he have any good movies? Like following up to that that she would have been really good in uh no not really so maybe that's it you know like the movies after junior you've got six days seven nights which wasn't very good uh evolution which i really liked but julianne moore was great in that yeah and my super ex-girlfriend she was kind of aged out of not necessarily aged but she was way too good but then uma thurman was in that and so you know, I, I don't, I don't, that just really wasn't her role. And then draft day, yeah. and no strings attached, which I couldn't have seen that either. So maybe it was just timing. Yeah, I, I, I think, know. I think so. It, I'm surprised it wasn't like anything before that, but then she wasn't 
that big on the scene right before that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's pretty busy the next couple of years there. So I don't know. So 95, she plays, uh, she's in the movie Carrington, plays Carrington, a, a story about a famous painter and a sexually fluid painter in World War One. her and uh, what's his face, Jonathan Price. Uh, play partners in that one. I point this one out because from what I could tell, it's her first nude scene. And I point this out because she said she loved doing nude scenes because she is not a typical Hollywood hard body. And she enjoyed the process of like Mm -hmm. changing how viewers viewed nudity in Hollywood movies or just in movies in general. So I thought that was interesting. The movie's meh. It's got good reviews. Again, it's it's a period piece that you, you know, Mm-hmm. Just may not be up your alley. And then that same year is when uh, her and Kenneth, the Kenneth era ended when uh, it was found out he was uh, frolicking with Helena Bonham Carter. Boo. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's an upgrade, but um, nope. great actress. Good for her. She's done some really good work, but I know that put her into a really tough spot. Um, she got pretty depressed, was dealing with some tough stuff, and her life kind of got turned around uh, on the set of her highest critic score, and that's Sense and Sensibility in 95, and that's that's my review this week. So part of that, her like coming out of this is she met her now husband, Greg Wise, on set of Sense and Sensibility, and that, you know, doing the job and also meeting and connecting with him. He was a good-looking dude back then, too, so I think that kind of pulled her out of her rut pretty quick at that time in 95, after the, the Brana era ended. Um, if you haven't seen Sense and Sensibility... Um, pretty high scores. It's got an 84 on Metacritic and 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. So pretty popular across the board. It is, you know, it's a period piece. The cool thing about it is it is directed by Ang Lee, but she wrote it. It was adapted from a Jane, Jane Austen novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for seven Oscars. Good Lord. Do you guys know the seven Oscars it was nominated for? Can you guess? No. It got nominated for seven. So it got nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Adapted Screenplay her screenplay, cinematography, costumes, and score. And she won the Oscar for Adapted Screenplay. So she is the only person to this day who has won an acting and writing Oscar. What? Wow. Yep. Damn. That's some trivia. Yeah, no kidding. She's big time. And it won Best Dramatic Film at the Golden Globes. So hugely popular film in 95. What I noticed from the jump watching it is it doesn't have the, the gloomy, overcast look of Howard's End. And I think that says something to the cinematography nod that it got from the, the Academy. It just looks a lot better. It's much more appealing to watch. Howard's End is just, it's just ugly. It almost looks like it was filmed like 15 years earlier than 92, the way it's filmed, which, you know, it just kind of distracts you. This one, you don't get that. The concept, Tom Wilkinson plays Mr. Dashwood. He dies at the start and leaves his second wife and her three daughters, almost nothing, like 500 pounds a month. He comes from a lot of money. And the daughters are played by Emma Thompson, the oldest one, Kate Winslet, a young Kate Winslet, and Emily Francois, who didn't really do any other acting. She plays the youngest daughter. Hmm. The gist of the movie is it's a story of love, marriage, lost estates, secret romances with country folk, and British gossip. I mean, the entire story, it's not progressive at all, right? It's about women's worth tied to a man and their estate. And that's the intrigue and drama of the movie. Again, if you like this stuff, it's pretty spot on. It's well written. It's just not something that I usually get excited about. Thompson is pretty good in the role. She plays Eleanor. Her character is smitten with Hugh Grant's character throughout the film, and that's a huge part of the storyline. She has two emotional breakdown scenes in the movie that are definitely the ones that got her her Oscar nom, and 
one of them because she was not only was she nominated she won for adapted screenplay she was nominated for best actress in the role as well and she's crying and because kate winslet's character might not survive um and that's you could tell it's like oh there you go that's where the academy said you are deserve a nom but again looking at some of her other stuff it's not her best work but it tends to be these period pieces to the academy very attractive and she's she's perfectly good in it I just we'll talk about some others I think are better. I'm just with you on the period pieces, and I, I know I've said it over and over here, but I think what you said with you know the issues of that day, especially with women, and I think women tend to be the main focus of period pieces, and people look at it as this like mm-hmm. oh the the glamour and the dresses mm-hmm. and all this stuff, but I mean why do we even want to like relive those things? There there's nothing glamorous about life in there's no time. lesson like to learn, you, sh- right? you shit in a hole in the ground there's no <laughs> moving air and there's most likely slavery of some sort and women are like fifth class citizens so like mm-hmm. i don't know why people like care about them you're right but like that's not at all part of this she got her an oscar nom for this because she does a really good job adapting a Jane, a beloved Jane Austen novel into a pretty good movie, mm-hmm. right? That's okay. that's why she got her Oscar nom for her writing. And again, that was a very competitive year. Aaron Sorkin was nominated that year for his work. Tim Robbins was nominated that year. So like some really good screenwriters and actors and writing. And she came out on top on the Golden Globe and Oscar side. So mm-hmm. more power to her. Pretty incredible stat that she's the only person to ever win for writing and acting. That's awesome. Sense and Sensibility. I didn't learn anything new about women's rights or women's role in society, but I sure did get pounded in my head how uh, obsessed they were with their clothes and the worth of themselves compared to a man. And that just saddens me more than anything, which is why I just don't love watching those films. Yeah. 97 to 2004, before we get to our Munson's Choice, she's in an episode of Ellen, 97. She's in Primary Colors as Susan, 98. It was her second Hollywood role. It's a, it's a story about... I guess technically you consider Bill and Hillary Clinton, but she tells a really interesting story about apparently while she was filming that Donald Trump called her Uh and tried to pick her up, (laughs) was hitting on her and tried to pick her up. And she, obviously she's telling the story in the Trump era now. And I think it just kind of like, it's cringy and grosses her out. (laughs) I was in his target at one point in one point in time earlier in her career. And it's ironic that it's a movie about Hillary Clinton and uh, she played Hillary and he was trying to hit on her. So it's all coming full circle. <laughs> yeah. But 2001, she's in a movie called Wit. She plays Vivian. And this is one of those roles. She got a Golden Globe, Emmy, and SAG nom for Best Actress. This is, I think, one of her best performances. She plays a college professor with cancer, terminal cancer, who is walking you through her experience. So she's breaking the fourth wall and talking about just like cancer treatment and the challenges. She's a very lonely character. Um, doesn't She's kind of pushed everyone out of her life. It's a really phenomenal performance on her part. Like these are the ones I wish she would have gotten an Oscar nom for, not the period pieces we talked about. It's really good. It's a sadder story, story about cancer, but it's, it's some of her best work. She's fully bald, right? And she's embracing the emotion of dealing with cancer and knowing she doesn't have anyone around her. And so it's a pretty powerful storyline. Not one you want to watch when you're trying to be happy. What is that currently streaming through? It's either Prime or Tubi. I don't remember. I just want to see which, which way I can go back and yeah. check that out. It's good. It's, it's, it's a really good performance on her part. And she co-wrote that as well. Again, doing some other good writing work. 2002, she's in Treasure Planet. As Craig had mentioned, the, the bomberoo that she has. But again, she plays Captain Amelia, and that was nominated for Best Animated Feature that year. And it lost to Spirited Away, which is one of the more 
popular anime films of all time. Yeah. JGL was in that one. He plays one of the main, he plays the main character. And from a voice acting standpoint, it's a little crossover from our first Munson review. And then 2003, uh, she's in Imagining Argentina, which is technically, I guess, her largest audience gap, but we didn't do a full coverage on it because we felt like there were some others that just had a little bit more substance, but she's yeah. alongside Banderas in that one. And then also 2003, in one of her more popular movies and roles, she plays Karen in Love Actually. Who wants to start on this one? <laughs> she won a BAFTA, or she got a BAFTA nom for Supporting Actress. That's I couldn't even tell you the last time I saw Love Actually. Though. Is this where we get the social media term, Karen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Warren's asking if anyone else wants to go to say something positive before he absolutely annihilates its soul. So I, I mean, like I to. don't. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> this this was like one of the, those first movies that came out where it was like, you know, remember Valentine's Day, which is like 38 yeah. people in it or New Year's Eve and stuff like that. And it's all like, it's like 10 different stories that all kind of come together and they're all kind of tied in all this stuff. But man, I remember hearing over and over how many, how many people love this. And they're like, this movie is, it's such a good Christmas movie and all this stuff. This movie sucks. (laughs) It just, it just flat out sucks. It's a pretty big movie in her career, but you know, it's not one that I think any of us really love. Yeah, I, that's a good way to put it. But I do know that she is pretty famous for her crying scene in the movie. Apparently, that's like the thing, the emotional turning point in the movie is her scene where she cries in there. And that's what yeah. people talk about. People reference it all the time in some of her best work. You know, important, I guess, important to note from that standpoint. She has a quote where she's talking to Liam Neeson and she says, no one's ever going to shag you if you cry all the time. <laughs> that's, that's, you can, you can get that. How that, that, that gift is available. You talked about that being a, or a lot of people's favorite performance. Kit Harrington, AKA Jon Snow. That is his favorite acting performance of all time. Is her crying scene in the... Uh, of Emma Thompson? Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's on the top of a lot of people's list. Before Munson's Choice, we've got Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Not, no big deal. Just uh, her character's Professor Sybil Trelawney in the Harry Potter movies. She's in a number of them. We'll mention them here in a little bit. But her character looks definitely has a unique look to it. Yeah. I think every British actor was in Harry Potter. Yeah. Except Tim, Tim Roth. <laughs> we talked about that last time with Rickman, because she's in a lot of stuff with Rickman. I'd even mentioned Rickman in some of the earlier projects we mentioned. But yeah, He was in Sense and Sensibility, right? Yep. Yes, he was. Yep. He was in a couple of different ones. She said she took this role like, for her kids, so that she, they had a, a role that they could like and enjoy of hers, and neither of them liked it. <laughs> it was Look too dark. <laughs> her daughter, you know, her daughter was like, ah, you know, you're not in the movie enough. And her son was like, ah, I don't like those movies about magic. And that was it. <laughs> so, so Tim Roth made the better decision to ignore his kids' wishes and say, I'm not doing Harry Potter. I'm going to do the monkey movie. Sorry. Oh, fuck that. Sorry, right. She got the money. That's true. She did. I think at least three, if not four, Harry Potter movies. So she got some cash out of that. So good for her. So speaking of interesting, uniquely personality characters we're going to hit our munson's choice and so if you're a first time listener our guest munson's get a chance to come in and review a movie that's outside of the uh categories that we normally cover and in this case chip chose nanny mcphee which is about as unique of a character as emma thompson has nanny mcphee we should immediately say is uh, mary pop or at least this for a a version yeah certainly a, a version of this it was actually based on a nurse matilda character by an author i have no idea why 
she rewrote it as Annie McPhee, but um, I, we never read Nurse Matilda growing up. I have two, I had two daughters at the time, and this was kind of the heart of, you know, I'm a young person. I need to find movies that are age-appropriate and general audience-appropriate. And Emma Thompson rewrote these books into this character. And it is such a beautiful movie. In fact, both of the movies, there was, there's supposed to be a trilogy. I know there's at least two of them. Mm -hmm. If you said to me, Hey, Chip, find a movie that we could do at the local park that could be for a general audience, or you're the principal at your local elementary school and you're going to have movie night. What would be a movie that, you know, wouldn't be offensive and um, would meet a, you know, a wide variety of people's uh, needs this is the type of movie that I was looking for, for for my young girls at the time. And I would say that if you have young people and your holidays are here and grandma, grandma's there and, and, and you've got young kids and even boys, uh, I think this is appeals to them because there's all sorts of unique choices that were made in this film. This is an incredibly well-crafted film that's not a Disney film that's made for the, the, the general audience. So let me mention a couple of things that really um, kind of uh, show up. So we, we've got this gentleman, of course, his wife passes away because we couldn't have a movie with that. It's traumatic for young people. Mm-hmm. Are you sure it's not a Disney movie? Well, we're setting it up that way, right? <laughs> yeah. And so um, the, the kids who are, they're just kind of acting out because dad is uh, in distress. He's, he's kind of absent from their life. And every time they bring in a nanny, this nanny gets chased off. And it's in all sorts of wacky ways. They've got these great characters that are playing. The person who runs the kitchen is like an army sergeant. And um, there's this uh, just angelic uh, person who is the scullery maid for the, for the home. And this guy is sort of down on his luck. And he's supported by a uh, benefactor, which is a wealthy aunt who has this eagle nose that comes in. And that's one of the the cues that this is a farcical um, movie, but also very thoughtful because everybody has a look and the look is very exaggerated. The uh, colors being used in this film, the, the, they're all garish. They're, they're just crazy colors. So some designer sat back and said, you know, I'm going to paint a palette here that's not going to uh, just show this dismal house it's going to show that it really is it's reflecting that it's chaotic and it's it's ugly and there's a lot of touching scenes the father sits there and talks to the chair where the wife used to uh sit and just so um you know he's in distress he's saying well you know what should i do and he keeps running across an ad that says what you need is Nanny McPhee. And she eventually shows up, and this is Emma Thompson's character. And Emma Thompson is, you know, just incredibly ugly in this character, yeah. which is a reflection of what's going on in the house. And she um, she has five lessons she has to teach the kids. But really, there's this, this, um, this beautiful uh, statement she makes. It says, there's something you should understand by the way I work. When you need me, but do not want me, then I will stay. But if you want me, but no longer need me, then I have to go away. It's quite sad, but really, but there it is. And the, the young kid says, we will never want you. And she says, then I will never go away. And we go from this garish world and this um, farcical story 
to where the, we have this little uh, sweet ending. And it kind of, uh, there's a bow there, there's a wedding there. And as soon as everything is right, the palette becomes very pastel hmm. and it's very calming. The, the kids are, are happy, the dad's happy, the person he marries is happy, and all is right. And at the end, Nanny McPhee must go away. As we look for movies that, that tell timeless stories, this is a story that you, you, you probably know, but the skill to put this together is just very, very high. I don't think anybody could complain about this film. She says it's her favorite role that she's done in her career. Yeah. Nanny is the one that she looks back at most fondly. This is why we bring you on, Chip, because you use words like garish. Um, classing up the joint. You know? I could tell you you run a podcast that reads a lot. Well, all, all that art school <laughs> I went to, right? Uh, the art school background has to come out that, somewhere. It's, it's, that, it's that East Carolina uh, background, really, really doing you well there. Yeah, pirate and more ways than others. That's good. If you hear me typing, I'm just looking up words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting when you see her in that role because you, you see her in Make a Tell Turk. Yeah. It, it doesn't look like her. And Nanny McPhee looks so unique and is definitely ghastly. Yeah, it's a it's a good way to put it. And I'll say the second that's the the follow up film. Uh, yeah, if you like the first one, you, you're going to like the second one too. And they have great casts. Both of them have very good uh, casts. Oh, there you go, Nanny McPhee. Maybe someone will hear this and say, you know what, I'm going to finally watch it. Did she write that as well? She did. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, she was the writer and the star. Wow, theme. So we've got an 11-year gap before our next review. 2006, the year after that, she's in Stranger Than Fiction is a, another character named Karen. There you go, Craig. Uh, and she plays a, tra- a train wreck of an author who's chain-smoking cigarettes. And she's great in that movie, man. Mm-hmm. I love this movie. It's so good. I remember going into it, and I think this was just like, I think the first time I watched it, it was going in with like, this is the heyday of Feral and all this stuff. Yeah. And then he hits you with this like straight laced character, which honestly, I guarantee this is like who he is normally. Yep. He can be, he's serious. He's still quick witted and like very snarky, but this seems like the basis for his character as the auditor in uh, the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. The other guys. Yep. I was, I was uh, 11. Same universe. And I audited, I audited my parents and needless to say, there were some discrepancies. <laughs> and I <was> around. <laughs> so that's exactly who this character is, but man, his interaction with like Maggie Gyllenhaal is mm-hmm. awesome. And yeah, Emma cool. Thompson in this is so good. She is a neurotic yeah, a neurotic author. Yeah, oh, it's awesome. Dude, that scene where she's in the rain and she's like hiding her cigarette under her hand, just getting uh-huh. bored on. Yeah. I was like, this is this is her character just in a nutshell right here. Like just neurotic beyond belief. Yeah. That was a really cool movie. An author through and through who just has the ultimate block and mm-hmm. you just don't know what you're gonna do. And so you do you throw everything at the wall. Mm-hmm. Cool concept for a movie. So you just you just highlighted Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, and my first thought is, you know, I think that series is probably going to go someplace. If you haven't seen it yet, <laughs> yeah, that's perfect transition. Chip's like, that's enough on Stranger Than Fiction. Let's get to <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, yeah, that's 2007. She's in the the next follow up Harry Potter movie. Also, 07. She's in an uncredited role as Doctor Crippen in I Am Legend, a pretty big movie, obviously with Will Smith. Really? Um, yeah, she plays like an on-air doctor during like a TV set. So uncredited, but still in a, a movie that a lot of people know about. Oh, eight, she's in Last Chance Harvey as Kate alongside Dustin Hoffman. She got a Golden Globe nom for that role. She'll hit 
uh, another role with Hoffman a little bit that Case will talk about. So I guess there's a good connection there mm-hmm. in terms of repeat performance and actors. And then 09, another movie that I had on my list that I had been wanting to see because people rave about Carrie Mulligan's role in the movie is in education. Emma Thompson plays the headmistress. It was only a one-day shoot for her. She came in, did her scenes. So she's pretty minimal in the role. But Carrie Mulligan said in interviews that even though that one day she was intimidated by her, but she is absolutely brilliant actor. Nice. Very minor to that story. But that's a, that's a pretty decent little movie. Kind of creepy and sketchy, too, at the same time, once you know the plot. 09, she does a little crossover with uh, Chris O'Dowd, our boy, in Pirate Radio mm-hmm. as Charlotte. We see her return to Nanny McPhee universe in 2010, and Nanny McPhee returns. And then 2011, another Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Interesting. Uh, I, we're going to have to check that out one day. <laughs> <laughs> and then 2012, she's in Men in Black 3. She plays Agent O. So this is not the 200 and however million dollars yeah this yeah. is this is the third one the the second sequel that craig didn't know about yeah she plays you know it's been a while since i've seen this but i remember her being kind of like a sassy authority figure but i, I don't remember much else this is the one with the fresh prince right yes yeah and then 2012 she's in another animated feature brave she plays eleanor um, the main character's mother in that one um, she gets turned into a bear in that story so you get a lot of emma tops and then you get a lot of grunts and groans and maybe that was her maybe it wasn't who knows well she's she wasn't <laughs> she's no groot <laughs> then, yeah, that no one no one is vin diesel okay and, but then 2013 she's in beautiful creatures which based on reviews um, from people, her character as Mavis Lincoln is apparently one of her worst performances. Apparently has a terrible Southern accent in that movie and it just got destroyed by critics for it. But that's the word on the street. I believe it. Tons of people butcher Southern accents. So. Mm-hmm. Mavis Lincoln. Yeah, that, I can imagine. She's pretty well versatile, but maybe the Southern accent uh, isn't her thing. And it, I don't think she's taken on any similar roles. So I think she's learned her lesson on that front. And then 2013, she's in The Love Punch. Uh, is Kate alongside Pierce Brosnan. And then also 2013, she's in Saving Mr. Banks as P.L. Travers. She got nominated for Best Actress from the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and SAG for that one. And I think this is some of her best work, top three in my book. Yeah. Emma Thompson plays P.L. Travers, and you get to see the, the challenges of watching your work being adapted. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, you've got somebody like Disney just plowing ahead because you know he promises his kids that they, this will be on the... Uh, the screen but really the business says you need to have mary poppins yep this is an incredible film yep. i started this and didn't get around to really getting i got sidetracked like pretty early on and my wife was like if you need to have me on to talk about this movie i absolutely will. She, <laughs> she 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 she, she she loved this movie a lot she her offer still stands. <laughs> she will she, if she has we, to answer a couple questions in post. We'll definitely make it happen. She's so good in this role. This is the back and forth with her and Hanks and the negotiation and the the ironic part of her being the person who's constantly adapting screenplays and now being in a character that is having to deal with that mm-hmm. um, is kind of interesting to see. I'm surprised she didn't get an Oscar nomination that year. She got everything else from everywhere else, but this is I think it's one of her best roles. It just baffles me. Disney can't buy everything. I guess. I don't know. P.L. Travers, he recorded every single one of the meetings. Mm. That's how they wrote the meetings and the back and forth between her and Hanks was from actual recordings. And Emma Thompson was like, it was just so awful to listen to because you knew it was real. Mm. Yeah. You know, but but at the same time, that helped her, I think, pull off a more accurate uh, version of the story. 
2014, she made her return to the stage. She was in production of Sweeney Todd, live from Lincoln Center. It's available on YouTube. You can watch the full thing. And I watched some clips of that. She's phenomenal, man. The way she balances her ability to sing and her ability to be funny and do it so effortlessly is just incredible. Like that, she is so at home on the stage. It's it's almost not fair for everyone else who tries. 2014, she got in a little bit of a kerfuffle because uh, she wrote the screenplay for Effie Gray. Uh, she plays the character Lady Eastlake in that one, but she ran into a huge copyright lawsuit for that one that went on for quite a long time when it came to adapting the original material. So I think that's kind of stained her uh, her involvement with that one. She eventually was able to obviously make the movie, but they had to go through some legal proceedings to do it and okay. what to take out and what to use and all that stuff. So a little bit of off the uh, off the screen drama from that standpoint. Has she written a movie that she hasn't played in? I think she puts herself in every movie that I'm aware of. That's actually pretty cool. I, I appreciate that. Well, speaking of drunken sailor types, uh, her character is C. Molina and Barney Thompson. Wow. She plays a train wreck mom slash former prostitute. Sex worker. Come on. Sex worker. Sex, right. sex worker. Right. Former sex worker. You're right. Yep. Just so we don't end up losing more of our listening audience. Yep. Um, you're just but, targeting. You're targeting that audience. <laughs> but let me tell you, that character is so outlandish and memorable. It's unforgettable, man. You can't even tell it's her. It's wild. It's really good. She's got her Scottish accent from her half Scottish side, so she's putting that to work. I saw her reference this movie a couple times in interviews and how much she likes this movie. The movie's okay. It's all right. You know, it's it's decent, but it's one of her most memorable characters that i saw along the way so if you're listening go check out barney thompson interesting to say the least 2015 she's in burnt that uh bradley cooper dud that had all the hype that uh, didn't turn out very well she played dr ross hildy um she co-wrote the screenplay for bridget jones's baby and started it as dr rawlings in 2016 really she was in the children act as Fiona in 2017. She played a judge and also learned to play the piano for that role. And it almost sounded like a bit of a um, passion project for her because it was this this female judge in England who was a public servant, mm-hmm. you know, had problems with her marriage, had all these all these obstacles that professional women have to go through in order to be good at what they do. And And she said one of the things that she liked about this character was that it was written and directed in such a way that the audience was never told whether or not she is a really good character for this story or a really bad character in the story. Yeah. And this is kind of up to the audience to decide. And she spoke very highly of this role. She had a lot of press tour around that one, I noticed, in a lot of the interviews online. Um, and then 2017, we see another crossover with another Munson alum. That's Gugu Mbatha-Ra and Beauty and the Beast. She plays Mrs. Potts, which is available on Disney Plus if you're interested in checking that out. Oh, yeah. It's not not a bad movie, man. Um, I, I went and saw this in theaters because the original is is great and everything. And I thought that the, the cast that they had for the, dare I say, the inanimate objects was pretty great. Uh, <laughs> this is a prequel or is this a sequel to Harry Potter? Uh, this is actually, it's a, a fever dream when she is under a spell <laughs> in, uh, Deathly Hallows part one. Uh, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is her Jacob's ladder. <laughs> oh my God. That's awesome. That's so good. 
Three points uh, for Gryffindor there. Note. <laughs> there we go. We're gonna make, just like our Franco reference, that one is going to rear its head again in the description 100%. So 2017, that takes us to her largest critic app, and that is the Myrowitz Stories. And Craig has this one. The Myrowitz Stories, new and selected, is a uh, 2017 comedy drama starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Dustin Hoffman, Elizabeth Marvel, and Emma Thompson. The movie is written and directed by Noah Baumbach. And Scott Rudin produced this film. Hmm. And, and I thought that was interesting for two reasons. Number one, you know, it seemed to me that Emma Thompson was, was being a little bit more careful at this point of her career and who she was working with. And I know Scott Rudin, I know he's not liked by critics. And I also <laughs> think that he's, he has some enemies in the, in the industry. So I was a little bit surprised to see that. But last episode, we talked about the EGOT. Scott Rudin is the first producer to ever win the EGOT. Hmm. Oh. And so I thought that was interesting. The film focuses on three children of Harold Merowitz, who's played by uh, Dustin Hoffman. The siblings are Sandler, Stiller, and Marvel. The movie begins with Sandler and his daughter moving to New York City so that he can move back in with his dad because him and his wife has split up. And then Sandler's daughter is getting ready to go to Bard College, which is also in New York. So Harold, played by Dustin Hoffman, has been he's married for the fourth time. And is currently married and living with Maureen, who is played by Emma Thompson. Maureen is a cross between an alcoholic and a hippie type character. Mm-hmm. Truth be told, I had to I had to double check IMDb to make sure that that's who that was because she looks very different in this role yep. and does a really good job. The movie centers around the dysfunction and turmoil of the three children as their dad falls ill and is admitted to the hospital. Uh, the, the movie is very, very dialogue-driven and dialogue-heavy and was very well-received by critics. It was selected to compete for the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival in 2017. While it didn't win that award, it did win the Palm Dog Award for the, um, the dog in the movie's brilliant performance <laughs> as a canine. So that's, that, that's a very exciting development for this movie. <laughs> And, and by the way, you don't you notice the dog, but you don't pay attention to it one time. Presented by Lassie. I guess. <laughs> Presented by Lassie. Anyways, Thompson was, you know, she's primarily a book into the movie. She's got a bunch at the beginning. She's got a bunch at the end. Um, she radiates a charm and drunkenness and a dysfunction that somehow, you know, Harold is attracted to because of who, who Dustin Hoffman's character is. And like I said earlier, I I was really impressed with her appearance and and how she looked in this movie. It it was it was a real chameleon like performance as a whole. I wouldn't rate this movie as highly as critics did. Yeah, I read multiple articles about the the dark comedic genius of this movie. I just I mean, I just feel like a dark comedy is still funny. I just didn't find it comedic at all. Having a bunch of good actors pulling off marginally quirky roles, I, I don't think is inherently funny. It's entertaining, but it's not funny. And it's just a drama that makes you laugh a couple of times. That's it. It was well written, but for me, it was too dialogue heavy. To keep it short, I, I found it boring. It's like a movie that's made for for Upper West Side New York people. Yeah, right? like the, yeah. the way the script is built. Like it's pretentious in ways. It's yes. it's good. It's decent because there's good actors in it. Mm-hmm. And watching Sandler and Stiller fight each other outside the hospital is hilarious because the whole movie's kind of been building up to that point. But it's yeah. it's written for a very particular audience, which is why I don't think audiences liked it. That's a really good point, Kyle. 
the whole storyline about Dustin Hoffman, he he he's a sculptor, makes wood. He sculpts things out of wood. Right? Like that's doesn't yeah. that doesn't have general appeal to the the overall audiences. I don't know what her dialect is in that role, but it's like a she has a pretty good American accent, but it's like a weird I couldn't point out the region, right? Like her Did you think it was kind kind of New England, but not necessarily Boston? Yeah, it was it wasn't entirely distinct. Like I couldn't quite figure it out, but she hit her accent pretty well. Yeah, but she plays a good hip, good hippie. That's ultimately what she is in that role. I enjoyed her scenes, and and uh, certainly didn't take away from you know how I'm going to rate her later. Sure. All right, we're almost there. We're almost at the end. The next couple of years, just mentioning some of these projects she's in. She is in King Lear. She had done a previous stage production of King Lear, but now she did the on-screen version in 2018. She's in Johnny English Strikes Again as the Prime Minister in 2018, so a little bit more probably cameo work on that front. I'm so glad he struck again. The world is so much better off now that Johnny English is back. In 2018, big time, right? She becomes a dame for her services to drama, and as we talked about, she became Dame Emma Thompson alongside Judi Dench and all these other pretty famous British actors. Mm -hmm. So good for her. Knocked that one off the bucket list. And then 2019, she's in Late Night as Catherine, where she got a Golden Globe nom. I really enjoyed this movie, and I thought I thought Mindy Kaling was really great in it, and she was charming enough, and she was empowering enough, and everything that she needed to be to be a female in a male-dominated uh, job, and you know, with Emma Thompson basically playing a like and Ellen strictly because of the looks because she had really short hair in it. But Mm -hmm. I think it was more of, it's more of your late night. So it's more of your David Letterman and uh, stuff like that, that late night talk show. And she's been around for a long time, but she comes to realize that like she's got to change what she does. Her British humor, you know, what got her into the game isn't what's going to keep her in the game. And uh, I thought it was a really good one. It had a good mix of uh, humor and real life to kind of bring it down. Wasn't all smiles and everything. There was some actual heart in there and everything. Mm -hmm. So it was it was a good movie through and through. Yeah. And Mindy wrote it, which is pretty cool. Good for her. Yeah, for pulling that together. I don't need to watch it again, but I'll recommend it for yeah. uh, a nice, a nice like a light watch that you you know feel good and laugh. I couldn't think of somebody that would be better casted for this. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you could throw out Kristen Wiig or Tina Fey, but we would still kind of associate them more with you know Saturday Night Live. So for her to come in and, and take this role as somebody who also is, is very big on female empowerment is uh, I, I thought was a really, really good casting. Yeah. I think, I think the closest thing you can get to is probably like a Jane Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. But Emma Thompson just brings so much more relatability mm-hmm. and more of that mm-hmm. heart, more of that heart to it that I think Jane Lynch is so sarcastic and so yeah. like brash in her personality that you, you just don't get that from her yeah i'm thinking two areas that, that she brings one her age brings works real well for a, a role like this mm-hmm. yep. and the second her her sketch comedy pass mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. plays really really well at this because mm-hmm. it allows her to, to to tap two skills i guess yeah yep. the character that minnie kaling wrote for that required someone who is just an asshole it can be an asshole, but also yeah. has that self-realization that, you know, maybe they should learn the names of their writers and not treat them as pawns. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you see that that change happen in the character, and I think she does a wonderful job in that role. Um, to the point where she's doing interviews, 
and they're asking her, hey, have you ever thought about doing late night? Because you're really good in that. She's like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I don't need to do that every night. To your point, Warren, I'm surprised that Hollywood, I'm surprised Hollywood didn't get on board with Mindy Kaling and, and start backing some of her projects because they filmed this movie for a $4 million budget and in only 25 days. Wow. Really? That's impressive. Emma Thompson alone, you're going to get $4 million in box office. Uh, and ended up grossing $22 million worldwide. 2019, she hosts SNL, so it's a big moment in her career. It's uh, Honestly, I'm surprised it took that long for her to host SNL. But I guess, you know, British performer. Mm-hmm. Maybe it took a while to get there. But she has a really funny skit on an etiquette lesson where she absolutely beats the shit out of the person she's trying to teach about British, like, British mannerisms and how to drink tea and all that beats the living shit out of Leslie every time she screws up. It's so funny. And you could tell you're not used to having a really good professional actor in one of those roles in an SNL skit where she doesn't come close to breaking character once. It's pretty impressive. So yeah. check that out on YouTube if, if uh, you get a chance, our listening crew. Kyle, that was a really popular SNL episode because I believe it was a Mother's Day episode. Yep, yep. And her, her whole monologue is her bringing on Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and talking about um, how to interpret motherhood. And so like what yeah. what a woman would say and what they actually mean and from an American and British perspective. So that was cool. Um, she didn't make it all about her. 2019, she's in another animated feature that was nominated. In fact, won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature and that's Missing Link. She plays the elder in that one. So uh, not necessarily a major character, but I guess a major character towards the third act in the end of the movie. We see her in Men in Black International, as we had mentioned before. She reprises her role in that one. How to Build a Girl in 2019, another crossover with Chris O'Dowd. So she's got two of them. And then finally, uh, she's in the show Years and Years as Vivienne, which I know has gotten quite a bit of critical acclaim from the British standpoint. And that takes us to two our final two reviews our final two categories and the first one is largest audience gap and that is warren going to talk about last christmas last christmas gave you my heart oh, great. <laughs> very applicable uh not only the season that's true but uh no joke if you if i were to tell you that there was a movie that was basically written about this song this is it. Yep. Um, it not only takes its name, uh, the ending scene is Amelia Clark singing this to a bunch of homeless people uh, to raise money, but uh, she sings it. She's got a great voice. Uh, very impressed. The mother of dragons has got pipes. <laughs> but uh, so this movie, all in all, yeah, it's it's not a great movie. I think it's actually got a little bit more. It's got more heart than love, actually. That's not just a, a saying, but uh, literally more heart. Uh, Amelia Clark plays a character who you don't find out till later in the movie. And I don't give a shit about spoilers. So if you really want to watch it, go ahead Turn and it stop. off now. Yep. Go ahead and stop. Delete the episode. Redownload it. Listen to this point again and do it over and over. But she basically has had heart issues. And she, on Christmas a year ago in the movie... She ended up, her heart went, she went into cardiac arrest, and she ended up getting a heart transplant. The whole thing with this movie is it's basically, she gets a heart transplant, and she's working in this place called Santa's Workshop with uh, Michelle Yeoh, yep. is her boss, which we've talked about her in the past, and she's she's you know, a pretty prominent actress. Then Henry Golding is the love interest in this. You know, it, it's 
a very, very impressive cast directed by Paul Feig and Ooh. Emma Thompson and her husband wrote the screenplay for this. Obviously, huge fans of Wham! because this includes <laughs> this this movie includes 14 songs of yeah, Wham! and one unreleased track uh, by George Michael. Um, <laughs> you know, the movie itself, it's very, you know, it's pretty predictable. It's a bit of, yes, you have my heart. I see you. You know, would I watch it again? No. Would I let a little kid watch it? Yeah, because I think it's got a good message. You know, be nice. Don't be a piece of shit. <laughs> Ghosts will help you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty much. Emma Thompson in this movie, I actually loved her character. It's hilarious. She She's she so is funny. so good. She is a a Croat, Croatian, <laughs> like Ser- she, Yugo, uh, <laughs> Serbian, uh, yeah, uh, Yugoslavian immigrant to the UK. And she has an accent and she's a very like depressed mother and she's got two daughters and she always talks about the civil war that they, when they left, you know, they left Yugoslavia and they're like, we're, we're in a better place and everything. And, she does a pretty good job as somebody who doesn't have that much exposure with Eastern uh, Slavic Europeans. I think she does a pretty good job, especially <laughs> with like her, her, her look and her, her accent. She does a really good job with it. If, if you told me that that wasn't her, like, if you're like, this is somebody else, I'd believe you. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, Oh no, that's Emma Thompson. Yeah. I'd be like, wait, I, I, I was still like, wait, what are you talking about? That's not Emma Thompson. <laughs> I thought she did a really good job with the accent. And I, I know I've said that multiple times now, but it, I mean, it's the accent. Yeah, but yeah. again, it's not necessary in the movie. I no. don't think that it's necessary in the movie, but she chose it. As I think she writer. just wanted to write herself a funny role. She's like, you know, I've never done this in my career. What the fuck? Let's be from Yugoslavia. Let's have a good time. So lowest critic score is Doolittle, which came out th- earlier this year. Rigby is supposed to cover it. Obviously, he's not here to cover it. Warren and I both watched it. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this because we, we mentioned it briefly, but it is a an abysmal movie. And she plays one of the animated characters. She plays Polly in that one. And I don't think there's much to talk about, <laughs> to be honest. I think it rightly earned its lowest critic score and people rightfully yeah. criticize Robert Downey Jr. for stepping into this role after doing Iron Man and looked at him like, hey man, what are you doing? I guess you're in for the money, but just an abysmal remake why, why would this movie be so bad why how could you create a movie that is just this bad i don't know i you 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 have the characters give a dragon an enema at the end of the movie that's what you do aside from the enema like the dragon <laughs> aspect like up until that <laughs> point this movie is like 30 to 40 yeah it's it's not bad and it, I think it's great. I think it's funny for kids. And I really don't think Robert Downey Jr. is all that bad in it. I think he's a very dialed back, like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And I love that role of his. I actually, I, I hated Rami Malek's character in this. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought him and John Cena as the the bear were the most annoying characters in the movie. I don't disagree. Kumail Nanjiani as the the ostrich was hilarious. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, Craig Robinson's good. As Craig, Rob- Craig Robinson's <laughs> good. And I actually thought that Emma Thompson was one of the better ones in this. She was the only voice of reason, the only logical person in this entire movie. Uh, but it really just comes down to like 
why the fuck is there a dragon and why is he pulling stuff out of its ass in the last in the last act? That's what it boils down to. And if it's not for that, you know, it, it could it could break the 40 range. And I wouldn't blame Robert Down I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't blame Robert Downey Jr. for being in this movie if it weren't for that part. I did not know his wife was a Hollywood producer. I didn't either until and you just told me. She's done seven movies. They've done seven movies together, and this is one of them. So it might explain why he's in there, because that may have been a marriage. Hey, uh, by the way, Robert, you're going to be in this movie, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, yes. You were just in ten, 10 movies, and you're away from a family, <laughs> so I've got you for one. I know he caught a lot of hell for having it be a, a weird Welsh accent. But I thought it was an interesting choice because he based that character on a 19th century Welsh doctor named William Price, who actually thought through like spirituality, you could talk to animals. Well, here's the common thread I would note about Emma Thompson in this role. She's done, I think, five animated features in her career, and she's done very well in all of them. She has a a memorable character, Mm -hmm. other than this one, in generally good animated films. Does she have a good, like, range of voices and dialects in her animated roles she she's a very clear and concise voice and it's it's more of the mature and proper like side to it It, it's it's a great balance to like kyle said the craig robinson who's the the comedy and you know throwing throwing in a little bit more of the the modern day vernacular to kind of attract younger audiences while she is the voice of reason of like an adult. As I look through gotcha. the roles, Craig, most of the roles she plays are some kind of a th- like female authority figure. So she plays the elder, okay. she plays the mom in, in Brave, she plays like the captain in uh, Treasure Planet. So generally, as Warren said, like someone who knows what's going on has uh, a kind of a moral compass and is trying to drive the moral side of the story in a lot of ways. Gotcha. So... Because I think about Robin Williams and how great at voiceover work he was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was because you just never knew what you were going to get. Mm-hmm. And, and he, had, he had such dynamic range. And I was wondering maybe if she was like that, but it doesn't sound like that. No, you get more eccentric um, performances from her and her live action stuff. And I'd say she's more slow and steady in her, uh, her animated work. It doesn't ask her to step out of her bounds. You know, they they know what they're going to get from her, and it's exactly what they want in those yep. roles. Yep, that's that's a great cool. question, Craig. Good job. That was awesome. I think that kind of encapsulates everything. All right. So before we get into top performances, one other note: um, she's also written two books adapted from the tales of P- the tale of Peter Rabbit, which is pretty cool. That's why when you hear on interviews, they say you know writer, author, and actor. Um, but let's get into some top performances. We don't have Rigby, but Case is going to jump in with a, a list and see if he can stump us. I'm going to tell you, this is his most prestigious, I said prestigious there, uh, intentionally list. Prestigious. Let, let me look that up so I know how to answer this. <laughs> he got a Emma Thompson top 10 roles from BFI.org, also known as the British Film Institute. That's, Holy that's shit. So we have... Very astute list of 10 movies. Straight to the source. It was released on her 60th birthday as an homage to her in April of 2019. So no last Christmas. That's what I'm hearing. 
No Last Christmas. Okay. Sen- just wanted Sense to make sure. And sensibility. It's listed in chronological order, so there's no there's no numbers. So okay. Sense and Sensibility is definitely on there. Give me uh Miss PL Travers and Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. Saving Mr. Banks is in there. We're two for two. Well, I, I said Harry Potter. What I was trying to say is Nanny McVeigh. <laughs> you, you're correct. <laughs> You are 100% right with Nanny McPhee. Howard Zinn. It is on there. Give me Late Night. Late Night is not on there. God. Stranger Than Fiction? He had Stranger Than Fiction is not on there. Oh. Love Actually. I'm so sorry. Why are we missing Wit? We we talked about that earlier. Well, no one said it. Now we we have. Wit is on there. Oh, see? I told you. Uh, Somebody said... Somebody said Love Actually, right? Yeah, I said Love Actually. Okay, Love Actually is on there. So you got one, two, three, four left. Give me In the Name of the Father. It's not in there. Oh, hoo-ah! Scent of a Woman is not on here. <laughs> well, I'm just baffled. Can't believe we missed that one. All right, Chip, you're up. Carrington? Nope. Um, Nanny McPhee Returns. Nope. <laughs> just start naming. That's all just the that's just what stuff. that's just what I do. I name I name sequels. <laughs> I will say two of them. We definitely we didn't talk about in great deal, but we talked about. And then I don't know if two of them we didn't go over. So once we get to those two, I'll say them. Okay. How about dead again? Nope. Thank Christ. I know. I was like, maybe there's a surprise. Much ado about nothing. I'm I'm just going to start naming the Shakespeare ones. Nope. I'll give you guys one more one more shot. All right, Warren, last shot. Uh, the remains of the day. That is one of them. Uh, All right, we still got one shot left. Uh, I'm up. Uh, give me give me Barney Thompson. Let's go. Yes, yeah! Barney Thompson. We so, got two left. Uh, it's the tall guy. I mean, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is the tall guy. Really? Bingo. Damn it. All right. And then the last, Ball. we got one more we did not talk about. Did we talk about the winter guest? No, we didn't. I took it off the list. Yes. So 1997, she was in the winter guest. There that was one of her top roles, according to the BF, the British Film Institute. And you, I mean, almost every one of her movies is a critical and audience success, so it's hard to hit absolutely everything. Some <laughs> had to go. Yeah, it is. The Winter Guest, directed by Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Legend. He's probably going oh, that's to good. That's a really good list. So I'm happy they had a few of those on there, like Barney Thompson was on there. I'm, I'm sad they didn't have... Uh, you said Late Night wasn't on there. That's that baffles Late me. Late night was bit. not on that there. Baffles me a little bit, but it's a good list. I think it's fair. Sounds like a fair list. But I'm glad Wit made the list because she's phenomenal in that movie. So that's that's great. All right, cool. Let's get into this Munson meter. So if you're a first time listener, the way this works, we rate each movie on a scale of zero to one hundred based on a variety of factors. So those could be longevity, project choice, pop culture impact acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office, success, or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us. So with all of that said, we're going to start with Craig. You know, I brought up earlier, she's just, she's got a ton of box office success. She's very, very popular. She's probably the most heavily awarded former we've looked at on the podcast. But as we're talking, I thought about, I thought about two things. One Multiple times we, you know, we actually didn't recognize her in a role. And so she was very, got into roles very well. And and we kind of forgot it was Emma Thompson. And then two, the other thing we talked about, a lot of times when we get to this point, we talk about performers 
who hold their own with the Hollywood heavyweights. Mm-hmm. Not only do I think, not only do I think Emma Thompson shines when she's acting across some other heavyweight Hollywoods, I think she helps them be better. And that's something that I, I really think is impressive. But the only thing I'm going to knock her on is, is a personal thing. You know, she, she has just done a lot of movies that I'm just, I'm not a big fan of. She just has a lot of really good roles that just aren't going to be in my movies that I like. But, you know, I'm not going to knock her a great deal on that. You know, with all that being said, I'm going to give her my highest score which is an 87. Okay. All right, I'm up. I think she is by far the best performer that we've reviewed mm-hmm. across the board. I know she's done a lot of British work, but in terms of her range, I mean, incredible, the types of roles she can fit into, the roles she falls into that you don't even know it's her, to the types of characters, and then just the critical and audience success with most of those roles. I got to give her huge props for her writing and producing credits. I mean, she's the only person ever win an acting and writing Oscar. That's impressive to say the least. I love that she's been one of the most outspoken people against Harvey Weinstein and a lot of the issues in the industry. And she's very pro-woman and is unabashedly pro-woman. And I have to, I love that and support that. Also love it. She's an atheist. So I'm going to give her an extra bonus point or two there because I'm, I'm down with that cause. I'm going to read you guys one thing that this was her bio in, when she was with that famous troupe. Um, whatever, what was it called again? The the Footlights Troop. And the, her bio was, yeah, the footlight. shaves her head, wears baggy trousers and little red glasses, deplores de- debilitories, drinks pints, protests regularly, votes Socialist Workers' Party, supports spurs, eats fire, soaks pulses, wrestles, squats, is concerned, refuses to be stereotyped, okay? Like, I, <laughs> you, you can't, I think that just encapsulates so much of who she is. And so as I look across the board and how to score, I'm only going to knock her a couple points for pop culture just because she's bigger overseas than she is here and a couple points for like intangibles and box office. But she's getting by far my highest score. She's getting a 94 from me. All right, Chip. I, I think Anna Thomas Thompson is um, incredible. In fact, she doesn't need my vote at all um, to defend her work <laughs> because, I mean, her work stands on its own. Yeah. It, it, not not everything we, we do is timeless, but but her the, the stuff that she chooses and the quality of it really le- lends to having a, a long shelf life. So you can go through her catalog and you can immediately go, well, I could watch that today or I could watch this a year from now or three years from now. It's still going to carry its way pretty well. And I, I think she is fantastic. I, I, I put 90 down as what I would rate, rate her acting, which is very, very high, which basically says everything she does is going to be quality. Mm-hmm. That doesn't guarantee that she, she, you know, she won't pick some money um, projects. But the, the point is, is she has a long career and there's a long list of British actors who have long careers. Well, she's at least earned the right to take some money roles if she wants to. Sure. All right, Warren. Just about everything has been said. You know, the longevity is there. Personal life is what it is. I mean, she's got, I know she's got a lot of activism. Uh, her and Greg Wise, I believe they uh, were pro in the adoption community, which uh, is a pretty cool story I recommend looking at. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, the awards footprint is absolutely there. You know, learning that she has the writing and acting Academy Awards, that's, that's incredible just to – learned that she was in both of those no matter what i hear her in i i 
am immediately drawn to. There's nothing that she has that I actually like. I absolutely loathe or hate. <laughs> and that that's impressive. Like, I, yeah. especially with a large filmography, and I know I haven't yeah. seen everything. Almost every single actor has a bomberu or two, and you know, I, I just I enjoy her enough in these movies that even if the movie sucks. I still enjoy her in them. Agreed. She's not the she's not yeah. the one that ruins them. She steals scenes. Even yeah, if it's a yeah, mediocre yeah. movie. Yeah, and she is cons- like consistently well above average. And I, uh, the, her scores that Craig talked about earlier definitely reflect that. You know, seventy one point three and seventy one point five audience or like whatever the 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 combination was there. I think that's very indicative of how uh, critics and uh, fans both view her. My biggest knock is really just the the movies that she is awesome in are not movies that I like uh, historically, and so yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's nothing for her. That's just like you know, especially I I I grew up. Yes, I grew up in the '90s, but I was still like young in the '90s, and so Sense and Sensibility would not have been anything that I would have dreamed to go see. <laughs> um, and, and so, like, I, I imagine that there's going to be there's another actor you know, who's up and coming, who's going to fit the same mold as Emma Thompson once things are all said and done. And I'm going to look, I'm going to look at their uh, filmography one day and be like, holy shit, this was like my, this was my Emma Thompson that I got to watch this whole time. I'm going to give her an 80, 82, uh, which is still my highest score. But I think I'm just like her sweet spot was just before I, I like got into movies and that's what's keeping her from a higher score for me is just because of that personal, uh, personal factor. So in 82. Okay. And Rigby, he did all the research. He just couldn't join us at the last minute. So I think we can admit his score. He, uh, he sent me over an 80 for Emma Thompson. So with that in mind, Warren, what does that bring us? We've got a new number one and it's by a, it's by a considerable margin too. Emma Thompson's number one at an 86.6, which is first place, which is almost four whole points ahead of Brian Cranston. Wow. Not surprising in the, le- the least bit. With that type of score, she could get her owls. <laughs> <laughs> this is just what she needed to get her career to the next level. That's Munson's right. Top of the list. I'm going to agree with her, and I saw her say this in a couple different interviews, but she feels like she's at the top of her career right now because she's still got enough energy to go out and do really demanding roles, but she's got enough maturity and enough experience now to pick great roles. Mm-hmm. And that is moving forward, I think is really exciting. Love it. So that's a really good way to put it. I really like that because you, you're kind of sifting through figuring out who you are and she's been in the game long enough and she, now she knows yeah. who she is. And so she can capitalize on what that is. She's won the awards. She doesn't have to like, there's probably nothing left on her bucket list. You know what I mean? Yeah. So she's just like, if I want to do it, I will, but I don't. I can be really picky. This was it. Uh, she needs uh, a, a Grammy and a Tony. That's what she <laughs> that's, needs. I guess that's true. Yeah. She can sing, so, uh, you know. She can. Well, that's a perfect transition because this is where we usually go to uh, what does she got coming. So Warren's going to tell us a little bit about that. So she's got uh, one of my top upcoming movies I've been waiting for for actually quite a few years since it was announced, Cruella. Uh, her and, uh, Emma Stone, uh, ever since they released that like leaked pic of her with the, the dogs, Horace and Jasper and the two dogs. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. That looks so great. That looks so great. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that I want. I think no matter what it is, uh, Emma Thompson in that kind of role, especially with Emma Stone, I think those are 
two incredible actors working together. So that'll be a lot of fun seeing them do do their thing. She's also in, she's filming currently What's Love Got to Do With It? And good luck to you, Leo Grand, Leo Grand or Leo Grande. I don't know if it's uh, north or south of the Mason-Dixon line. So we'll see however they're uh, pronouncing it. Those are the three movies, and uh, yeah, we'll see how they turn out. She might be able to get the Tony of the EGOT because she is on record saying that she is writing the musical adaptation of Nanny McPhee. Of Nanny McPhee. That's right. Really? Yep. Yeah, she said it's a pain in the ass, but working on it. All right, so we got five actors we're throwing on the wheel for their next episode. So our first episode in 2021, given today, is New Year's Eve. Um, those five actors are the aforementioned Michelle Yeoh, uh, Sam Rockwell, Robert Pattinson, Heather Locklear, and Jason Fleming. Who do we like? Who do we dislike? Rockwell, Pattinson, all day. Yeah. A little bit of Pattinson, get somebody I have to watch all the Twilights, and then <laughs> I like to have an excuse to watch Good Time uh, just because I don't really care for those guys. Pattinson would be a good one to keep uh, until Batman comes out. Yeah, I agree. I'd like to cover him after. I think it'd be a good one leading up to Batman because with 700 actors, who the fuck knows when we're going to get him again? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Almost 800 at this point. Michelle Yeoh, I think we'd get some good movies there. Um, but Jason Fleming's the one that intrigues me the most for just stuff I might not know a lot about. And I know he's not like a huge leading actor, but he's supporting a lot of stuff. Um, I remember he he was in um, freaking the original Jungle Book back in the day. Um, so it'd be like wow. interesting to go rewatch movies like that. Um, from 20 years ago. Yeah. I struggle to think what we would be watching with Heather, Heather Locklear. There's not I much. I don't remember what movies we'd, she was we'd in. We'd be watching Spin City and her as Will Ferrell's ex-love interest in The Other Guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Gator going to have to get involved? Yeah. A lot, lot of TV show appearances. She's in Money Talks. Yeah. And, you know, Rockwell, you know, he's a one-hit wonder with somebody's watching me. So, you know, there's not a lot to cover there. <laughs> oh, my God. You nerd! Hey, if, if we if we do Rockwell, I'm going to I'm going to remaster the intro, and it'll be a new song. <laughs> I do know that James would be saying Rockwell absolutely, and I, I bet that Rigby would be saying Rockwell as well. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Well, we uh, we'll find out because, as always, the, the wheel decides. And so it's Heather Locklear. Chip, it was wonderful, my friend. We appreciate you being here. Do you have any outgoing plugs for the podcast or any words of wisdom for our listening audience? Sure. Join us. Read books with us. We have Professor uh, Pam Adore from the University of Connecticut. She is the English professor you always wanted to have. You can catch her stuff on the great courses. She wrote one on dystopian and utopian literature, which is just absolutely fantastic. And uh, she takes two, you know, average, uh, below average intellect guys, and she makes us sound smart at times, or at least uh, buries us really pretty good. (laughs) There you go. That's why we bring on guests, you know, make us sound smarter. We appreciate you being here, and you always bring bring that deep voice and a deep perspective into the Munsons. And we needed the help tonight, being down two. You were a a big, big plug for us there. It's my pleasure. Absolutely, bud. All right, so next podcast hits on January 14th as the new year hits, and our guest is going to be Monty Grohl of the Movie Marathoners podcast. Monty's had James on to his podcast like three times. I joined him once, so it's going to be exciting to bring Monty back across to this side 
um, to join in on the Munson's conversation. But as always, you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? Okay, I've been doing this job for nearly 30 years and I know what works and I'll tell you what doesn't work. An absurdly confident newcomer coming in, criticizing my show and giving me her assessment of my comic persona without doing the hard work of presenting me with solutions. This, this room is a ship. I am the captain, and you have barely earned the right to be an all. Do I make myself clear? Munson's out. <sighs> all right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? <laughs>